So today, if you have your Bibles, again, we've been going through the book of Luke, but if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go to Luke chapter 6 today. We're going to be going through all of Luke 6. We won't be able to go into every single detail, uh, but as we go through this, again, we talk about this whole idea, if you call Jesus Lord, then you are called to do what he says. If you call Jesus Lord, then you are called to do what he says. Now, that seems like a, an obvious answer, but let me ask you a question. How easy is that? Okay, Sean, don't ask questions this morning. Everybody's kind of asleep, right? What? We struggle at times because we still want to be the Lord of our own life. Do we not? We still, Jesus, give me the salvation, but don't have any authority over me, okay? Jesus, give me the blessings, but, but don't call me to sacrifice to follow after you. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. If he's Lord, he's Lord of all, and he calls the shots. So let's go and look at Luke chapter six, and let's find the hope Again, as I say that, we know that it's difficult, but the hope and the fact that God's not asking us to do this on our own, he's become a part of our life and is empowering us to walk with him, to love him and to find, he gives us the ability and the strength to do this. Luke chapter six, verse one. On a Sabbath while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching a man was there whose right hand was withered and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, let's stop right there. In order to do what Jesus wants us to do, we have to understand what he wants. I find this very interesting that when we start to deal with law, the law of God, we have a tendency, if we don't watch it, to hijack it and make it about us instead of about him. We make it about pointing the finger at other people instead of having it pointed back at me. David Platt, reading through the book Radical, it was interesting because at one point in time he said, the problem is that some people take the law of God, and if you think of it in medical terms, they take the law of God and they take it like it's medicine. If I take the 10 commandments every day and I do that, then I will be well and I will be healthy and thus I will be great. But he said, if we take it like that, we're misappropriating the law. The law should be more like an x-ray machine. 
That as I look at the law, that it looks at me and it diagnoses all the sickness that's wrong with me. The law does not justify me, it condemns me. Jesus fulfills the law. And as I understand the law through Jesus, then I have the ability to actually please him instead of making it about me. This first part, one, let Jesus be the standard. Let Jesus be the standard. As we have the Bible in front of us, as we're reading through it, we're not trying to be like the Pharisees and hijack it. For us, we're trying to understand who God is and what he wants. Think about the Sabbath for a moment. The Sabbath was given to man for rest. Given to man for rest. Now Jesus is taking his disciples And as he's going through the grain fields, which again, even in the Old Testament, talks about the fact of if somebody wants to grab something a little bit through there, it's provided, it's okay. This was also to be for the foreigner that they could come in where they're not just taking the whole harvest, but just whatever's there, they can have it in order to sustain themselves, to find food. This is what Jesus is doing, going through there and getting something to eat. The Pharisees... They had added to the Sabbath law. They had added extra to there to make sure nobody gets near it. You know what I have realized? When we add to God's law or we take it away, we make things a whole lot worse. You know that? We make it a whole lot worse. God doesn't need our help. He needs our obedience, right? He doesn't need our help. But the Pharisees thought that they would be helpful. We don't want people to even get anywhere near it. So thus... We're gonna set this up to where nobody will get anywhere near it. So they begin to condemn Jesus and the disciples. You can't do that. That's work. You're not supposed to work. Jesus began to look at him and said, have you not read where King David, the beloved king, was on the run with his men? They went to the priest. They needed to eat and they got the bread of presents and they used it to sustain, and that is only for the priest. That's, it's in there, it's in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament, don't touch it. And yet they ate of it. And what's interesting is, is the priest that gave it to them never condemned them, never was upset, never anything else. The priest there was able to, a human priest, a flawed priest was able to give that to David and his men. And then Jesus says something even crazier, because he's not a, just a, He's not a, he's God in flesh. He tells them, I'm also Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I get to determine what it is, not you. I get to define what it is, not you. Church, if you're gonna be a Christian and just think that you're gonna be a rule follower and that's how you're gonna please God, you need to be very careful. Rule following based on what? Your interpretation or God's? Because God starts with this, love God, love others. If you don't start there, you become a finger pointer where everybody else is wrong and everybody else has problems. When we start with love God and we start with love others, all the things begin to make sense. And also we begin to realize how many things have I hijacked from God to make it about me instead of about him? In God's name, how many things have I done where I've actually been horrible to people 
in God's name. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody done that? All right. Jesus is the authority. Have you not read the scriptures? And you know what? That's even kind of a damning statement right there. Have you not read the scriptures? Who was he talking to? How often had they read the scriptures? They had memorized it. Forwards and backwards knew it. Church, Bible memorization is a great thing. But if it's not for God's glory and it's just for you to be able to spout out stuff, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for me. Bible memorization is meant to go closer to God, to hide the word in our hearts so that we will know how to love him and please him. It is not to show everybody how amazing we know all the scriptures. Haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you even know? But then we show this played out where Jesus is on the Sabbath, on another Sabbath. Here he is teaching. And there's a man who has a withered hand. And the Pharisees, and here's the crazy thing about it. The Pharisees, it says in the Bible that they were looking to see if he would heal. Does anybody get that? What's the ironic thing there? They know he can do a miracle and yet they're still gonna condemn him. Oh my goodness. Now listen, just because a miracle happens doesn't mean it's always of God. The enemy can do miracles too. He can, but I'm gonna share with you right now. But if the gospel is there and a miracle happens, you better shut your yapper. You better shut your yapper whether you like it or not. Doesn't matter if you're comfortable with it or not. The gospel and the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Jesus sets to hear this man and he says, what's it better to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? To bring life? What is it? What's the purpose? You know what they should have said? Life, do good, do it. But they kept silent. You know why? Because if they were to say do life, it was going to unravel their entire world. Do you know how many crazy things that we come up with that we say goes against God? I think for the most part we're past this, but I'm just bringing up minor things and they're cliche, but I'm just bringing these up. It's funny how people can be so upset about a song or drums or an organ Somebody can be so upset about something and miss the whole point that God does not care. God's looking, worship is not music. Worship is about a heart recognizing God, who he is. That's worship. You should be in daily worship in your life. There should be a tune in your life right now. How do I love God? God, I love you. I praise you. You're awesome. I got a boss today that I'd rather punch in the face, but that's not of you. Lord, forgive me. I'm gonna love you and glorify my life. I'm gonna give you praise. Is that, this should be a worship daily, right? Right? That's worship. Worship is not, <sighs> I hope they get this song over with soon. Oh, I don't even like that song. But we've never done that, Right? I know it. This man, all of a sudden, 
they won't answer. And Jesus tells him to stretch out his hand. And in faith, the man stretches out his hand and finds healing. And it brings fury. Because in their mind, they, Jesus just broke the rules. Okay, Jesus, there's an amazing miracle. He's showing love to this man. And there's everything. And what are they upset about? It's not the way I would have done it. It's not it. Mm. Aren't you glad that we're more mature than that, right? None of us have had that issue, right? None of us have had that issue. Church, please hear me. Jesus, the Bible must be the standard for how we are doing church and living out this life. Jesus, how are you loving God and loving people by your rules? If your rules are bringing life and love to people the way Jesus does it, because watch this, even times there's loving confrontation, that's love, but it's done with the love of God, not the vindictiveness of I've got it, you don't. Jesus is the standard. If you call Jesus Lord, then you are called to do what he says. And Jesus is the standard first before anything else. Let's go on. Oh, by the way, let me read this really quick. Let me read this really quick. Mark 7, 8, and 9. You write this down. You go and study it on your own. Mark 7, 8, and 9. This is another passage in the gospel. Here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Do you know how many times, we talked about this this morning. I'm just gonna, it's just all kinds of, we talked about this this morning. A guy that busts into churches videotaping just to debate while the pastor's preaching. What would be your response if that were to happen? You know what I've caught? You know what I've caught? People do things sometimes we're quick to judge him and say, how dare you interrupt our service? What's wrong with you? Instead of going, what's going on with you, man? What do you need? What's taking place with you today? Sometimes we're so upset that our service is interrupted, we miss the moment of Jesus with somebody that needs, even if they're angry, even if they're hurt. We're so, don't interrupt my service. I'm gonna get my three points. Great, I'm glad you got your three points and you missed the person that needed Jesus. Good job. Get it? Make sense? Hey, I've done it too. Jesus is the standard. What are we missing? Let's go on. The Bible tells us, in these days, he went out to the mountain, verse 12, to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostle, Simon, whom he named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the, Ze the Zealot and Judas, the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon 
who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. This second point, and we're gonna go on more from it, but I just wanna stop there. The second point, lead the life of a disciple. Lead the life of a disciple. Think about this. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus, in order to start his ministry, went and got away by himself and started to pray to the Father. Again, God in flesh, one God, three persons. But God the Son began to pray to God the Father and began to, these men being drawn in and choosing them, prayed all night. Where is prayer in our life? Is it at the dinner table and that's it? By the way, that's a, uh, if, if that's the only time of prayer, uh, you have created tradition and ignored God. I'm just gonna be honest with you. If that's the only time you pray, that's a religious rite instead of actually walking with God. I'm not telling you to quit praying over every meal. I'm telling you, you better find other time to pray instead of just your meal. Don't make a statement, have a relationship with God. Now, Jesus prayed, he got away, and then he called the 12. And not only that, but he began to take the 12 and to go and do ministry. He began to show them what it was to do ministry because they didn't have a clue. Church, do you know that we're called to go and to minister If you think that being a Christian means to come here on Sundays and Wednesday and that's what you're called to do, again, you have created something in your own image instead of what Christ has called us to do. We're called to minister to people, to love them, to show them the love of Christ, to share the gospel, to go in the midst of suffering, to go in the midst of hurt. Even the most difficult people, we are called to ministers and be ministers of light. We've gotten it backwards. Many people are so excited about their church attendance and have missed all the people that are around them. We've hijacked it. We've hijacked it. I'm not telling you to quit coming to church. I'm telling you it's both and. It's both and. The purpose of saving you and not to live through your life to give hope out there What's the point? We've been taught so much about not going to hell, we forget about what it means to live for Christ in this moment now. And as a disciple, we're called to go out and minister. This is what Jesus did. He ministered to those. He then began to talk as he prayed and he called and he invited them to go. It's a good thing for us to think about it as we pray, as we go, and as we invite people to go with us to minister. He then says this, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, now he's talking to his disciples here, not the crowds, he's talking to the disciples. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, this is going to be very similar to uh, that in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. This one's called the Sermon on the Plain. But this one is interesting in this. And I think Jesus, he was, a, he was a preacher. Everywhere he went, he preached. And I think there's sometimes, considering the crowd that he went to, that there was different ways these things were gonna be played out. In the other one, we have blessed are the poor in spirit, right? But that doesn't say that here. There's a point that I think that Jesus is making that Luke writes down as he's, this is geared towards the Gentiles. Hey, if you follow Jesus, there's consequences. You may go hungry. You may be poor. If you follow Jesus, you may be like the son of man and not have a place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, but the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Listen to what he says. Blessed are you who are poor. You may follow me and they may take everything from you, but the kingdom is yours. Guess what? Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Sometimes following Jesus, there are consequences. Amen. Now, nobody's gonna say that one, right? Sometimes following Jesus means there's consequences to following him. Now, it doesn't always work that way. Some people are blessed, they have stuff, but I'm gonna share with you right now. Sometimes we have brothers and sisters right now in other countries that are in jail right now because they will not deny that Jesus is Lord. We have brothers and sisters right now that are starving because they will not deny Jesus, that have lost their home, have lost their family, and right now, this is gonna sound crazy. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. There is a, there are, in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, I encourage you to read through it. I know that sounds like a crazy thing to read through, but I'm telling you, it's highly encouraging. There is one point in time where uh, there's a whole group of men that are going to be, they're going to be burned at the stake because they will not deny Jesus as Lord. And one young man, he comes out there when they bring him out and he sees the stake and he sees where he's gonna be and he leaps up and he grabs a hold of it and he says, I'm coming home. That sounds a little foreign, doesn't it? You know why it sounds foreign? Because we're too in love with this place. You're worried about your retirement. You're worried about being happy in your job. You're worried about everything else. You are forgetting in this moment that this is all temporary and I'm going to be with Jesus. Now, this is important and I need to, I'm a good steward of it, right? But I'm gonna tell you right now, we're too in love with this place. We're too in love with this place. You're more excited about your season coming out so you can watch the next season and binge it than you are about following after Jesus. Is that too close to home? Lead the life of a disciple. Now listen to this, the woes. 
but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. If you are gonna say you're gonna follow Jesus and you're not gonna have any concern for the world around you, and I'm well fed and I'm happy and I don't have to struggle, woe to you. If you're gonna live in your little bubble and not be concerned about the ministry or not be taking something for Jesus to be persecuted, woe to you. You have the American dream and you've even had some preachers tell you that you're blessed. I'm gonna tell you, some of them are liars. They're wolves in sheep's clothes. I'm not gonna tell you that God can't bless you. In the New Testament, God blesses people that are rich. But I'm gonna tell you right now, there are some people that lost it all for following after Christ and they were blessed. If you have wealth, use it to the glory of God. And if all of a sudden he says, and I want you to part with some of it or all of it for my glory, then part with it. And if he says, I'm gonna have you keep it, I'm gonna multiply it even more, but you continue to shell it out and give it to people that are in need. You do that. If you're poor, not saying that you can't find a way to figure things out and to get better, but don't do it at the compromise of the gospel. Don't chase after wealth and compromise the Lord Jesus Christ. Woe to you if you do that. Woe to me if I do that. Woe to us when we have done that. We're called to repent. And then it goes on. By the way, I know I gotta keep with the time, but I hate that stinking clock. I'm just telling you right now, I'm telling you, I, but I will honor and stay within it, but I hate that stinking clock. No, no, hang on, it's all good. Listen, listen to what it says here. I'm not gonna go and not tell what Jesus wants me to tell. I'm just telling you, I should be born in a different country because I don't pay attention to the daggone clock. All right, now listen to this. Love your enemies, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, praise for those who abuse you, the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away, from, away your goods and do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. Now, just that we catch this really quick, some of these things are caught in a court setting. Some of these things are caught in a court setting. The slap in, in, in Acts 23, I think it is, that Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin and he talks about something and they smack him across the face. Well, that was an insult. That wasn't a fight. That was an insult. If you're insulted, guess what? Turn the other cheek. If you go to court and somebody wins against you and they're allowed to take your cloak, it was not allowed to be able to take your tunic because you had to have something to have that night. But here it's saying this, you know what? If you're gonna win, I'm gonna give you everything. Why? Because we don't live under man's laws in order to just get through. We're on a higher one of how do we love God and love our fellow man, even our enemies. Now, this sometimes passage has been interpreted in such a way that Christians don't have any rights and so we just get to be abused. Guys, read the context of the whole Bible, 
okay? There are times when Paul could have been murdered and he found a way to get out of it, okay? There's times where they did, you've gotta put the whole, don't just take one or two verses, read it in context. But I'm telling you right now, we need to pray for wisdom. How do I love my enemy? How do I love my enemy? How do I look at my enemy and not just try to get one over on them or to keep me safe, but to be able to say, I'm gonna love that person in such a radical way, the way that Jesus has loved me, that even if they seem to get away with it, I'm a pebble in their shoe because now they're having to deal with Jesus. You wanna know what happened to Saul? Saul looked like he got away with it and he killed Stephen. Looks like he got away with it. But yet, everything that Stephen said was planted into Saul's life that as he was going in the Holy Spirit, Jesus came and talked to Paul, Saul, in that moment, who are you, Lord? Pebble in his shoe. You know what? That's the greatest thing in the world. If we love people, guys, you don't have to always be right. You're in Christ. You're loved. You're accepted. Proclaim him. You'd be amazed what happens to some of the enemies in this world if we would just love them the way that Christ tells us to love. Right? Right? How do you love that jerk at work? It is hard. Guess what? You can't do it. But if you're in Christ, the Jesus who lives in you has loved you in a way that you don't deserve. So now you start to love them based on how he's loved you because I didn't deserve to be loved by God. Did you? Now all of a sudden it's not about, but I don't feel good about it. Well, whoop-a-dee-doo. I'm sure Jesus felt great on the cross. It did say that he went for joy, but it wasn't a happiness, but he went for joy that he died. How is it that we would find a joy in loving people to be able to let them know Jesus loves you? So if you take advantage of me, you know what? Sure, I'm upset, and sure, but I know that Jesus is the one that's fighting in this moment for me. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. sinners To get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. We get into judging others. Here in the midst of judging others, I'm just gonna, you read it. I'm just gonna go through the highlights real quick. The Bible does not say that we're not allowed to judge. It says that when you get ready to judge, you better not sit there and go, look what you did, look what you did, look what you did and you got a plank the side of a sequoia out of your face. What's wrong with you? Think about it. You are talking about their mistake, and yours is huge. So guess what? The Bible tells us, before you ever look, because you are supposed to help remove, read it. Oh God, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. I cannot believe you would even have mercy on me. I'm so sorry. Lord, help me to do what you call me to do. God, you remove this. Why does he remove it? Because he loves you and I don't know why. 
right? I don't know why he loves me. Man, he loves me with a love that I don't deserve. Blown it, messed up, and he loves me. Oh, he loves me deeply. And I feel a guilt and a shame. And he says, but you don't have to feel that because I've forgiven you and I love you. Rise, my child. You are worthy. Not because of what you've done, but because of who I've called you to be. You are mine. So guess what? This comes out. So then when I look at somebody, I go, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? The reason I'm coming to you is because I get it. I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm the chief of all sinners. And I come to you. Let's go together towards Jesus. It doesn't say, don't judge and nobody judges. That's not what it says. It says when we judge. We're judging with one, God's standard. And two, we're doing it because we love somebody with his standard just as he's loved me. We're not meddling, and there is a way to meddle with that, so don't try to put your little Christian spin on that. Well, I was just trying to help him. No, you won't. You were meddling. But when you come and you love him, that's what you are doing because God calls us. We are our brother's keeper. We really are. Then it says this, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We like to all of a sudden make this about, well, I need to produce better fruit. Yes, but here's the thing. You're producing fruit because of who you are. You don't change the fruit. The tree itself is what, it's, is what it is. I'll make it easier for you. When you're under pressure, what comes out? When you're in situations in life and you get pressed, what comes out? Because that is who you are. How much fun is that? It's not fun at all. This weekend, stupid little things got in my way. Not even important. And you know what happened when I came under that pressure? It didn't look like Jesus. So when I read the scripture, now you know what I'm doing? I'm not sitting there going, well, y'all gotta get your fruit figured out. What's wrong with you? I'm sitting there going, oh God, please help me. I'm up here supposed to be preaching to people that I look at my life when my own pressure hits and I don't even look like you at times. Oh God, forgive me. It's a scary thing to be in a moment where you're supposed to be preaching to other people and you realize the nastiness that you have in your own life. It's scary. We are called together to go towards Christ. And if I start to, when I'm pressured and the pressure's put upon me and all of a sudden things begin to come out that don't look anything like Christ, my mouth, things come out that doesn't look like Christ. My actions, my attitude, it doesn't look like Christ. And I say, I follow Jesus, but I don't look like Christ. What's the kicker? God, you're gonna have to do some pruning and I gotta agree with you. See, God didn't come to change your situation God came to change you in the midst of your situation, how to relate to him. If he changes your situation, 
Praise be unto God. But you're going to be in another situation you don't want to be in. God didn't come to get you out of every situation. He came to change you and how you relate to him in the midst of your situation. And praise be unto God because there is no perfect situation here on this earth, right? But the Jesus that walks with me, lives inside of me, he never leaves. He's not done with me yet and he's transforming me to become more and more like him. So as we come to a a time of altar, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Let's read 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built, it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. What does the fruit of your life say about Jesus as Lord? What have you built? What foundation is it built on? If you say that you're a follower of Christ, but you don't love God and you don't love people, well, of course I love God. Are you obedient? If you don't do what he says, you don't love him. That's what the Bible says. Now, we're all gonna blow it. We all don't do everything that he says, right? But we gotta quit making excuses. I can't go back and change my past. I can move forward from where I'm at today, amen? And I'm not called to be perfect, but he has perfected me. And I am striving to love him and love others of the gospel of what it's done in my life. Today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's not about you becoming better. You gotta die. You gotta give up all of the aspect of your life and say, God, I can never do the thing that you've called me to do unless you come into my, I surrender completely for you to be Lord, to pay for my sins. You paid for them. You shed your blood. You died. You took my sins to the grave and you rose again. And I receive you into my life. Lord, I want to follow you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And if you have a relationship with Jesus today, what are you doing when you're pressed? What comes out? Today, this altar is open. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to go to somebody in this congregation. You need to say, I need you to come and pray with me right now. Or maybe you need to go to somebody in this congregation and say, I'm sorry, I've been a jerk. I've not looked anything like Christ. I've been judgmental, I've been arrogant, and I'm sorry. Or maybe you need to go to somebody today and say this, hey, I want you to know I love you. I want you to know maybe you didn't know this, but you hurt me. When you talk to me, I'm not coming at you in a judgmental way. I'm coming to you as a brother and sister in Christ. I've removed the log. I get it. I don't know if you knew this, but you really hurt me. And so can we go and pray? 
And we do this together because we're on the same side if we're in Christ. 